Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Follow with me if you're at home, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person of the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the Word of our God. So our passage today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And if we have our Bibles, I want to ask us to keep it open to that page. Right, where as a church, you know, we've been on this journey to discover what it means to be Spirit-filled, to operate with the Spirit's leading even within our regular church services, right? In, in recent times, if we've been in the room, or even if we've been online, we would have seen how we have tried to incorporate this in our service through the open floor for us to just come and share what the Lord is placing on our hearts. And all these are part and parcel or, or little expressions of what Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Last week, we talked about saying no to worldly wisdom, right? We talked about what it means to live by the message of the cross. And Paul doesn't just stop there. He continues on in chapter 2, as we just read, to challenge the church to live by spiritual wisdom, to say yes to the wisdom from the Spirit. And so Paul begins in the, in the first five verses by telling the people that he had made a conscious decision not to speak to them without the, with the wisdom of the world, right? but instead to speak with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And using his own example, 
he begins to plant thoughts in the people's minds and question subtly what their motives are. Right? Is their motive, their singular motive to make Christ known? Do they, or do they speak with their own wisdom or do they speak by the Spirit's power? You see, Paul's implicit message to the church is that their witness and their testimony should be by the Spirit's power. That a demonstration of the Spirit's power should be evident in a Spirit-filled community. And you know, even today as, as we gather, as we gather in, in, a, in this manner, in the way that we didn't plan to, right, the world needs a touch of the Spirit. And that is the witness that we as a church are being called to give. And the big reason why Paul addresses this is because in secular culture of that time, it focused on presentation and communication. It focused on the rhetorical skill of the speaker. That Paul decided to address the need for spiritual wisdom in the face of a culture that propped up the wisdom of the world that the people of this church in Corinth saw this rhetoric as wisdom. And it meant that the gospel had to, pre- had to be presented with this rhetoric to be accepted. But Paul was telling them that's not the point. It's not the rhetoric that matters, but the message of the cross. And that's why Paul says as he came to them that he didn't come with words or eloquent wisdom in chapter 1 verse 17, or with lofty speech or wisdom as we started to read just now. But instead, he came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That his speech and the way he presented the gospel was not in plausible words of wisdom. And this sets the platform for what follows in verses 6 to 16, where we will spend much of our time dwelling today. But as we begin, as we dive into today's sermon, let's get our hearts right. Let's put aside all the technical difficulties and whatever has happened in the half an hour before this. And let us learn to yield to the Spirit. Let us approach with an open mind, with a mind of faith, a mind ready to listen to stories of faith, a spirit that is surrendered and willing to follow how the Spirit leads. That as we gather, let's let go of any box that we have put our God in. Let go of any restraints and constraints and our own impression of God. And ask Him to give us new lens and new faith to follow the wisdom of His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your presence in our life. We thank You for technology that we're able to gather in this way. For we know that no matter what happens, Your gospel carries on. The message of the cross carries on. Lord, as we gather today, may we learn to live by your Spirit, to recognize and to trust in the sound of your voice, to trust in wisdom that comes from above. Guide our hearts, guide our thoughts, open us to your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And what you see there on the screen, if we were to give a subtitle to it, we would perhaps call verses 6 to 16, characteristics of spiritual wisdom. But as we study it, it's important to recognize that this isn't some be-all and end-all blueprint of what spiritual wisdom looks like. 
right? Because God is so vast and so great that any attempt to try to comprehend Him using our own minds to put it into words alone will fail. So to help us better, perhaps one way that we can think about it is to approach it as familial characteristics, right? We've celebrated a lot of babies recently, right? And what's our favourite question to ask? The baby look like mommy or the baby look like daddy, right? We say, ah, the eyes look like the mom, the face looks like the dad, and etc., etc. And in some ways, that's an approach that we can take to how Paul is describing spiritual wisdom here. It's characteristics. But of course, with that, we must also recognize the limitations of characteristics. Right? That A, we aren't actually sure if what we think the characteristics point to is true until we see the source, i.e. someone can look like Uncle Jackson's kid without actually being Uncle Jackson's kid. And B, just because it doesn't fall in line with these characteristics also does not mean that it is not. That means to say, just because a kid doesn't have Uncle Jackson's eyes doesn't automatically mean that he is not Uncle Jackson's kid. So what we're driving at here is this. That as we seek to understand spiritual wisdom, this is not a checkbox whereby it must tick all the boxes to guarantee that it is spiritual wisdom. No, but what, point, what Paul points out is a truthful biblical foundation that points us to the shape of spiritual wisdom. But ultimately, of course, we must defer to God and ask God Himself if that wisdom is from Him. So here's a roadmap for today. We'll look at the verses from verses 6 to 16. We'll point out the three characteristics that Paul speaks about in terms of spiritual wisdom. And to each, to each point that Paul brings out, we'll look at one example from the Bible, and we'll look at one example from our community. But as I share, the idea is not to prop up these people from our community, and the idea also isn't that as we hear these examples, these are examples to be replicated and to copy all the way, but instead it should be a lens to provide us clarity, a lens by which we can begin to make sense of the world that Christ wants us to see. And so we begin by looking at the first characteristic, that spiritual wisdom is not understood by the world. Spiritual wisdom is not understood by the world. Paul begins like this. We speak a message of wisdom amongst the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. See, just in case anyone thought that what Paul was writing in the sections before meant that the gospel was devoid of wisdom, Paul counters them straight away and says the gospel is full of wisdom, but it is not wisdom that appears wise in today's day and age. But it is in fact a greater wisdom. Where just as the message of the cross is power to believers, but foolish to the world. And so Paul says then that this wisdom is available to those who are mature. And so we must first begin to understand what Paul means by mature. See, some may argue that it refers to the mature in the faith. But in context, if we see that Paul says that those who understand this wisdom would not have crucified the Lord of glory 
And in chapter 1 has referred to these exact believers as those who are called to be a holy people and those who do not lack any spiritual gift, it's perhaps far more likely here that Paul is, in this passage, not drawing the difference between mature and immature believers, but instead between unbelievers and believers. That to all believers, those who are mature enough in the sense of being able to see God's wisdom, being able to see the power of the cross, this wisdom is available. And Paul does deal with the issue of mature and immature believers, but that comes next week. So Paul continues then in verses 6 to 8 like this. Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And there are two key phrases here not a wisdom of this age, and none of the rulers of this age understood it. And this tells us clearly that the wisdom that is being imparted is one that's not understood by the world that we live in. It is one that the powers of this age, that those who are in authority in this day and age, will not understand either. Specific to the Corinthian church, Paul was pointing out that the gospel message being proclaimed was not understood by typical Greeks or Jews. Remember, stumbling block and folly. To quote N.T. Wright, only those who have believed in the rising of the Son of God can even begin to understand what this wisdom is. For the rest, it is as mad as the gospel itself. See, Paul says that it is not a wisdom of this age. And it should strike us that Paul's point of comparison, he's actually pointing to an age to come. He's pointing to something that has not happened yet. Right, where he speaks of an ending that God has destined for our glory before time began. And it tells us something that's so fundamental to the way that we are called to live as disciples, and that is that the way that we are called to live will appear to have no value in the here and now. But it has eternal value in the kingdom of heaven. Because while we live in the here and now, that's not where our eyes need to be set. Our eyes need to be set in the time that is to come, in the promised future that is to come. And it should remind us that we should not be afraid of standing up against the world. We should not be afraid to look different from the rest of the world because that's what it means to be called to be saints. Because see, imagine if we are being part of an orchestra, we are are called into part of this symphony, right? And of course, we will sound out of tune in this world, and this is really corny, but I hope it helps us to remember, right? Because we are all playing in the key of G major, as in God major, but everyone in this world is playing in D flat. But we need to approach it with the assurance that the devil will fall flat, and that's why we can trust in Jesus. If you're a music guy, you will get the pun there. Jesus. And the story here should inevitably remind us 
of Noah. Right? It should inevitably remind us of Noah. In Genesis 5, we're introduced to this man named Noah, and we are told that he became father to Shem, Ham, and Japheth at the age of 500. Then in Genesis 6, Noah is identified as the father of those three, meaning that he was at least 500 years old. And it's in Genesis 6 that we are told of the wickedness of the world, and we are told of Noah's commission to build an ark. And Noah did exactly as he was told. Then in Genesis 7, it records that the flood came when Noah was 600 years old. But in that hundred odd years, it means that when the whole world questioned him, when human wisdom looked at him and said, why are you building a boat that we don't even know what it's for? Noah was so focused on the age to come that he continued building. And while there was no way anyone around him understood why he was doing what he was doing, he trusted in the age to come. He trusted in the word of the Lord. He trusted what God had placed on his heart and he pressed on. And in our lives, it can begin to take shape in a really simple way, right? especially if we see the people that we encounter every day as sort of the people of this age and our bosses or those in authority, those, those around us as the rulers of this age. And, and it can look very simply like this. I'm going to share a story from someone in our midst. Um, he asked not to be named, but he's amongst the newer batch of All Saints members, meaning the past three to four years he joined us. And he shared something recently, and this is exactly what it looks like to operate by the Spirit's wisdom, to, to operate with eyes on the age to come, to operate with eyes on what matters, right? The nature of his job is such that he works frequently late. Um, there are times in the month where he has to be there regardless of whether it's a public holiday or not. And there was a day that, that a cell meeting was on and that day was loaded, he was packed. But at about closer to cell time, this guy decided that, you know what, I'm just going to pack my things. And his boss actually came over to him, right? Like, maybe he, he could have snuck out, but his boss came over to him and he asked, oh, you're done with your work? And maybe for some of us, we, we would have gotten fear in that scenario, unpacked our stuff and say, okay, let's work it again. Let, let's go back to work. But instead, he looked at his boss straight in his eyes and he said, no, I got a cell meeting tonight, so I'm leaving. Maybe not the exact quote, but words to those effects. And it's in these little areas like this, it's in these little areas like this that can tell us or that can show to us what it means to live in a way that honors God but is not understood by the world. To operate in spiritual wisdom is something that's not understood by the world. And the second characteristic is that spiritual wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And we need to approach this understanding that verse 12 is a definitive truth. 
that it is phrased in the past tense. Notice Paul's words, what we have received. It is something that has already happened, something that is at work in our life. And knowing then that the Spirit of God is alive, that the Spirit of God is working in us, and that this Spirit that we have received is one of infinite wisdom and infinite access to the Father, right? It tells us that this Spirit searches the deep things of God. Things that, unless we think that these deep things of God are like deep theological truths that we cannot understand, remember that Paul's main point here was that the gospel, the gospel was not just the foundation of truth, but if we truly reflect on the gospel, if we truly meditate on the message of the cross, we'll find that that's what all Christian truth points back to. That the deep things of God are found in the message of the cross. It points back to this promised kingdom that we are a part of. That this deep, everlasting kingdom that we have been made a part of is exactly what we catch a glimpse of through the Spirit. This is exactly the secrets, the beauty, the blessing that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but it is being prepared for you and me as people who live by the Spirit. And as an extension of this kingdom, as a little reminder, a little preview, right, a, a little way that God reveals to us and, and gives us a little foretaste of what is to come, the Lord can reveal to us things that we never thought of. This can be in, in our personal life. This can be with regards to what job we're supposed to take. But these shouldn't be seen as myths, mystical powers of any sort. What they are is God reminding us and giving us a little foretaste of the kingdom that we are being made part of. And as God reveals and we follow in this wisdom, it can, such a, it can have such a profound effect in our here and now. Well, last week, Reverend Darren, he, he shared about two words that were received on the first week of July, right? He shared about how the word was, be holy as I am holy. How there was a word of breaking chains, breaking bondages, calling us back into unity as a church. And sure, we can say that you know, the coincidence, these are all things that we talk about a lot. But if we look at it with the eyes of the Spirit, if we see the work that the Spirit is weaving in our midst, to open our eyes to His wisdom. How it aligned with the songs that we sung that day, how it aligned with the message that was preached that day, we can see God not just affirming that what we are doing is indeed from Him, but He's giving us a little preview that this is the kingdom that we are part of. Because ultimately, what all these point to is a character of God who is sovereign a character of God who is in charge and who looks into every situation, who knows us and who can reveal things to us that we never thought of. One story from the Bible. We go to Acts chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. And Cornelius, hear the story of Cornelius and Peter. Quite literally, Cornelius was minding his own business in the afternoon. And the vision came to him, and the verses go like this. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, 
to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And out of nowhere, God revealed to Cornelius to go after Peter. And of course, Cornelius did. And for us to understand the significance of what was going on here, we must remember that at this point in time, the Jews, which is what Peter was, and the Gentiles, which is what Cornelius was, never mixed. But what we didn't see happening, which is revealed later on in Acts, is that as this was happening, the Lord also gave Peter a vision, showing that what the Lord was created was not to be called unclean. And as a result, both men, acting on what they had received from God, decided to come together and the bridge between the Jews and the Gentiles began to heal as they followed the Spirit's wisdom. One story from, from our personal life, um, our, our community life rather. About a month and a half ago, I, got, I asked their permission to share this story. And then when Iris gave birth to Nathan, I'm going to move away from this slide because later everybody look at the cute baby and never look at me. Um, so around about last year, Tzimbang and Iris and I, we met up, right? And they shared with me that Iris was pregnant. And at this time, we still didn't know the gender of the kid. But Iris said, hey, if you happen to think of a name, let us know. And as the conversation went on that night, something that Tzimbang said struck me, right? He, he said that they recognized that this was a gift from God. And at some point of time in the next few days, as I was praying, and since Iris asked, right, and, and for a name, the, the name Nathan appeared or occurred to me. And that day, I happened to be preparing a BB lesson on the 12 disciples. And again, that name popped up, Nathan, Nathaniel, along those lines. And so I thought, okay, let's Google what this name means. And I did not know this. Um, maybe some of you who do know are already saying, oh, duh. Right? But Nathan or Nathaniel, variations of each other basically, mean gift from God. And so it went, okay, that's what Sun Feng said that night. And, and in that same period, one night after cell, we went out for supper at, to, to McDonald's. And for some reason, we got onto this topic of baby names again. Again, we still didn't know whether it was a guy or a girl. And okay, so we were talking about if it's a guy. And so I, I planted the idea. I said, if it's a guy, how about Nathan or Nathaniel? And so we googled the name because they wanted to see the meaning of it. But something else caught their eye as well. And it was something that I actually spotted earlier when I had googled it, but I couldn't believe what I saw because it was so bizarre. And so honestly, I was telling God, God, if this is from you, let them see it. And God did. And this is a screenshot of what we saw that night when we googled it. Look what I circled. You cannot legislate for Google telling you that Lim is a related name to Nathaniel or Nathan. Zoom in for those of us who couldn't see it properly. And this is how exactly how God works. Right? And, and when the gender of the baby was confirmed to be a boy, like, haha, big surprise. They prayed and they decided for themselves that yes, this indeed was a name that was from God. But just take a minute to see how this points us towards a kingdom that functions in the righteousness of God, that functions in the wisdom of God. How this is something that is revealed by the Spirit and how God's Spirit 
get so intimately involved in our lives. I look at this screenshot and I still cannot believe it to this day. The spiritual wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. And finally, it is accepted by the Spirit man. You know, in chapter 1, Paul sarcastically challenges the Corinthian church. He says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And obviously the answer to that is a resounding no. The Corinthian church was not baptized in the name of Paul. They were baptized in the name of Christ. And, but that is of great significance. Because sometimes we lose it in our culture, sometimes we lose it in, in the English of it. We almost think as if baptized in the name of is symbolic. But the weight of that phrase, in the name of, in the ancient world, goes far beyond that. To be baptized in the name of someone in ancient times stood for that person's whole self. In other words, to be baptized in the name of someone wasn't simply symbolism. It signified that you were incorporated into the person. And this is a truth that Paul himself explicitly affirms later in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 when he states that for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. This means to say that we were baptized into the body of Christ, drawn into union with Christ, and we are drawn into this heavenly fellowship. And it's with these lens in mind, this lens in mind that we read verses 14 to 16. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. As the people of God have been baptized into one body of Christ, we are no longer a people who cannot accept the things of God. That by the Spirit living in us, we are able to discern the will of God and to trust by faith where the Lord is leading us. See, when Paul writes that such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, he does not mean that we are above criticism. In fact, if we read most of the letter, Paul is criticizing or critiquing the Corinthian church. Of course, with the, with the right heart, but he's pointing out their flaws. But instead, instead, right, what it does mean is that we are accountable to God. Bible commentator David Guzik writes it like this. He says, No natural man is equipped to judge a spiritual man. That doesn't mean that we are high and mighty and above the world. It just means that we are held to a different standard. That as a people who have the Spirit living in us, we are accountable not to the people of the world. We are accountable to God. And yes, that is a great weight. Yes, that can sound like an impossible task, and alone it is. But that's why we have to trust in the Spirit of God, to trust in the wisdom of His Spirit, because we are being held to a heavenly standard. And it's in this heart that it should create the space for us to speak into each other's lives. For us as a community to challenge each other 
to live more godly lives. That we need to learn to move beyond being sensitive, but to allow us to shape each other. And the reason for that is said in verse 16, that we have the mind of Christ. But very quickly, this does not mean that all our thoughts are godly, but it does mean that we have access to our Heavenly Father's thoughts. It does mean that we can choose to look at things from God's lens and not our own. That is why we can act on what the Spirit reveals to us because we know our spirit man, the spirit that is living and is active and is sanctifying us on the inside is indeed working in our lives and speaking to us, but we need to surrender to it to accept where He leads. And biblically, we need to look no further, right, than the story of Joseph and Mary. For Joseph to accept the angel's revelation that Mary did not cheat on him, it cannot be a truth that can be accepted merely by human strength. But it is a truth that's accepted and lived out as we allow the truth of God, as we allow the leading of the Spirit to speak into our lives. And that same Spirit that guided them is guiding us today. One final story to end. Alpha is coming around the corner, FYI. More information will come, will come soon, right? But we were forming our committee and as I thought about it, finding, finding someone who could co-chair it with me, finding someone who could run again, uh, run Alpha again next year when I'm, full, when I'm away to full-time studying, my mind was drawn to Michael Kalija. Right? And, and in recent months, as I've prayed with him, as I've journeyed with him, the, the thought was always, it's time for him to step up, it's time for him to step up. That was a niggling thought in my mind. And so I asked him about it, um, to be honest, knowing that this semester, this next semester for him in school was supposed to be lighter. And so I asked him if he'd be willing to co-chair. And he thought about it, he came back to me and he actually said no. He didn't want to co-chair for a number of reasons about his semester, the plans had changed. And he was also a bit concerned that if his semester gets too busy and then he couldn't deal with church things and then maybe our friendship would be affected and so on. And, and I was about to accept it, to be honest, but something in me said, just ask him to go and pray again. So I said, okay. So I told Michael, I said, go pray about it again and see what God says. And he came back to me a few days after that and he said, okay, I'll call chair. I didn't know what happened in the background, but later on he shared with me that over that weekend that he was praying, he actually helped his brother clean his room, clean his brother's room. Right, and they came across this photo from his confirmation. This, this photo from his confirmation, right? They came across this photo, and he was praying about whether he should accept this leadership role or not, and he turned to the back of the photograph, and written on the back of the photograph were the words that Bishop Kwan prayed over him during his confirmation, and they were the words, you shall be a leader unto your generation. And he looked at me and he said, win liao lo. So he said yes. So more information on that will come soon. And by the way, fun fact, I actually tried to ask him to take a photo of what was written on the back. He said, I cannot find it anymore because I was trying to find it when I was cleaning my brother's room. Then I looked at him and said, good luck. You will find the photo when I ask you to chair church camp. So <laughs> despite his concerns, right, despite his reservations, as the Spirit led, 
As the Spirit spoke into his life, he took that step of faith to say yes. To accept the challenge that was being laid out, to accept the call of leadership into his life. And this church, this is the life that we are being called into. This is the church that Christ is calling us to be. A church that runs not on the wisdom of man. And to run not on the wisdom of man will take discipline from every one of us to not just simply go with our gut reaction, but to seek the Spirit and to move in the Spirit. There's no point in just sitting and praying and sitting and praying and then not moving after. It requires us to seek the Spirit, but to move in the Spirit as well. We're being called to be a Spirit-filled church that is sensitive to His Word that courageously stands up, not just in service, but in our everyday life, to the rulers and to the powers of this world, because our eyes are so fixed on the age that is to come. That we recognize that the Spirit's wisdom is higher than our wisdom. The Spirit's wisdom is what we need to rely on. And if we ever feel we are lacking wisdom, you know, in James it says, Pray, ask, and the God who is generous will give. And in such a time like this, especially such a time like this, it's only in the wisdom of God that we can stand up against the powers of the world, that we can make sense of COVID-19, that we can make sense of the RVHS case, that we can make sense of what is going on around us. It begins with us learning to yield to the Spirit, to move in His wisdom. That is what we're being called to live out as a people baptized into one body of Christ, as a people, as one All Saints family. We're going to pray and we're going to play a song. We, uh, I took this off YouTube because unfortunately we hadn't recorded this song before. But as I was preparing this week, this, this was a song that just stuck on my heart. And, and it's, it's something that, as we look at the lyrics, makes a lot of sense with what has gone on this week. It's oceans, right? And it talks about how God calls us out beyond the waters. How God calls us into places unknown. But where our feet fail, we rely on God alone. And church, that's a moment that we are in right now, a place where we really don't understand all that's going on. But we can trust in the Spirit of God. So I'll pray, and the song will come, and then we'll end the service after that. But let's gather and pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how your Spirit works in our lives. We thank you with every little bit that you're reminding us of the kingdom that is to come for how you can get involved in such intimate ways in our life. And we pray that as a church, in the smallest of ways at our workplace, to the biggest of ways that we can imagine, to the different ways that you're calling us to step up, to share words in the service, we pray that we have the courage, the faith, the anchor in you, that says, yes, Lord, I will go. That will be exactly like Isaiah, not just to say, here I am, send me. But even if you're calling us to fail, as you did to Isaiah, that Lord, we still say, 
here I am, send me. Lord, we ask for your wisdom to be what guides us every day of our life. We ask for your strength, for your kindness, for your goodness to overflow and to lead us to understand as a church the season that we are in, to understand as a church where you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.